Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 46. We'll be looking at that whole chapter. That's our launching point here this morning. This is our great, uh, crazy busy series. Going from burnout to balance. Dangers to avoid. The title of this weekend's message. On December the 29th, 1972... Eastern Airlines Flight 401 was bound for Miami from New York City with a load of holiday passengers. And as the huge aircraft approached the Miami airport for its landing, a light that indicates uh, proper deployment of the landing gear failed to come on. The plane flew in a large looping circle over the swamps of the Everglades while the cockpit crew checked out the light failure. The question was, uh, was this, had the landing gear actually uh, not deployed or was it just the light bulb that was defective? The flight engineer filled with the bulb. He tried to remove it, but it wouldn't budge. Another member of the crew tried to help him out and then another, and eventually all eyes were on the light the little light bulb that refused to be dislodged from its socket. And no one noticed that the plane was losing altitude. Finally, it dropped right into a swamp and 101 people were killed. True story. And that happened while an experienced crew were busy and preoccupied with this little light bulb, an entire plane And many of its passengers were lost. Pretty heavy story to start with, huh? It was important to know that the landing gear had been deployed. Would you say that was important? Yeah, absolutely. But not near as important as flying the plane. Crazy busy. It is possible to be so crazy busy that we actually put our souls at risk. And the challenge is is really not to let our spiritual life slip away. And I see so many people in our crazy, busy lifestyle here in good old God bless America uh, crash and burn left and right because of their crazy, busy lifestyle. We can be so busy and preoccupied with so many good things that we neglect and crash in the best and the most important things. I mean, I've I've seen moms be so preoccupied with keeping their house all nice to neglect their children in that home and uh, create major problems that way. I've seen husbands become so busy with uh, work that they neglect their health or they neglect their family. Um, I see parents so concerned about academics and athletics with their kids that they neglect their spiritual well-being. I mean, that's, that is a common occurrence that I see regularly even here at this church. And so, I mean, it's possible to be pursuing a lot of good things at the expense of the the best and the most important things. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend probably about eight weeks on this series. This is kind of where we're we're headed. We're going to work on a restful cure to this crazy, busy epidemic. But we we not only want to uh, go from burnout to balance or avoid burnout and maintain balance, but most importantly, most importantly, we want Christ to not just be a concept, we want him to be a reality in our lives. 
See, that's, that's what happens when we're crazy busy is that he just, he becomes just part of the checklist. Coming to church, we just kind of go through the motions. I want him to become more real to you than you've ever experienced before. I love the songs that we just sang because that's what those songs were all about. It was just about, boy, do you, do you have a sense of his presence here this morning? Even in those songs and those verses and oh my goodness. I was standing right back over there next to my wife and it was just like, it was a bit electrifying. If you really let those words of those songs and those verses that we read go deep into your heart. But oftentimes we just kind of scan and skim through those. You know, we don't allow it to really make an impact in our life. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. And then we're going to dive into our text. It's a wonderful text. This will get us started here this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, the crushing weight of work and family and exercise, bills, church, school, friends, and a barrage of decisions, demands, deadlines, and desires can pose a serious threat to our, to our physical, our social, but most importantly, our spiritual well-being. And it's our desire, it's our desire to live uh, much less of a driven life and much more of a drawn life by your love and for your glory. We want to live with less fear and frenzy and with more faith and freedom, with fewer obsessions and with much more adoration of you, the God of all peace. So we pray this morning that you would reveal to us the dangers of this crazy busy lifestyle and how we can slow the pace and find peace, power, and protection through your very present help in times of trouble. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's take a look at this text. Wonderful text. This is one of those texts that you're going to want to hang on to, maybe underline a few of the verses in the text. But it starts off by saying, verse 1, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very, what does that word say? Very present, very present, very present help in trouble. He's here. He's here this morning to meet with us. He's with you every morning. His tender mercies are new every morning. He's an ever-present help in trouble. That's a wonderful promise. That's a wonderful verse. And uh, in that one verse, you can see he talks about his protection and his power. He protects us. His power is working for us and in us, and it's because of his presence. Notice this, though. Therefore, because of this, when this is not just a concept, but it is a reality in your life, we will not fear. Fear is the result of of God not being a reality. Fear is a result of this frenzy, running to and fro, crazy, busy life. Therefore, we will not fear. Notice what he describes here. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. What does that sound like? Sounds like an earthquake. So he's saying, anybody here ever been in an earthquake? Have you been in an earthquake? Was it a lot of fun? It's pretty frightening, isn't it? Uh, I was over in California, not, uh, it was probably about a couple years ago, and felt it tremble a little bit. And uh, that's a weird experience. It's just like, ah, what was that? Everything just underneath you. It was was just a small tremble. He's talking about the earth shaking. Even though the earth shakes, I'm not going to fear. 
I'm not going to fear, though the bottom seems to be dropping out from under me. Though my, my world is falling apart. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now he's going to run kind of a full gamut of, of issues here. He starts with nature. And then he's going to go to nations, even though nations. But, be, but in between there, check this out. This is, a sweet, this is a sweet, sweet verse right here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Oh, my goodness. That is sweet. The holy habitation of the Most High. I mean, that... My friends, brings tears to my eyes because there's a sweetness to the presence of God that even though you may be in a city that's being besieged and surrounded by enemies, there is a sweet river. There's a flow in our lives that brings satisfaction and strength and, and stability, even in the midst of the most difficult times. That's the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's, that is a sweet verse. He just, right in the middle, right in the middle of what he's about to say, he says this about nature and then he, uh, he goes to nations. First of all, he says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when, when morning dawns. So if you, you're here this morning and you're, you feel like your world is coming apart, you're in a good place this morning to be here to look at these verses because I, I'm here to remind you that God is with you. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. You need that not just to be something you check off your list. Okay, got that. No, it needs to be something that goes deep into your heart, that begins to bounce around in your life and takes hold of your life. God will help her when morning dawns. And then he goes to the nations here, as I stated. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts. Angel armies. The God that created the heavens and the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold. That means, the word behold just means to, uh, to take out time and be captivated by, by the works of God. Do you have any idea who it is that loves you, gave his life for you, walks through your day with you, will never leave you or forsake you? Behold. Let that get a hold of your life, is what he's saying. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So basically, he's talking about his supremacy, his, his sovereignty. There's a lot of evil on this planet earth. A lot of bad things can happen. But God controls evil, otherwise evil would be out of control. He, he, he limits it and he uses it for his purposes and for his glory and our good to drive our hearts back to him. And so that's why we now come to another, another sweet verse. This is good stuff. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and uh, uh, the New American Standard says, uh, what does it say? In fact, I got it in my notes. It says, I wrote it down, cease, yeah, cease striving. Cease striving 
And I love the message. Uh, Ryan quoted it earlier. The message goes like this. Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God. (laughs) I love it. Boy, I need to do that. I need to do that every day. I need to step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at him, my high God. The word no here is not just an agreement with facts. It's, it's an appetite. It's an appetite for God. It's a, it's a word of uh, intimacy. The Hebrew word is yada. And it's the same word that was used when Adam knew Eve. And she got pregnant. She, she gave birth. So it's talking about a level of intimacy with God that is so rich and so meaningful that we, we know him, we experience him. So it's not just a being intellectually coherent. You know these certain facts about God, but it's, it's existential. It's, it moves you. It stirs you. you. The reality of God is more real to you than all of the issues of your life. In fact, this is what I have found in my own life, is that to the degree the temporal... The temporal issues of life, the, uh, the, the nature and nations rattle me or shake me as to the degree that I'm not allowing the eternal realities to go deep into my heart. I'm not spending enough time being still, cease striving, step out of the traffic, and I'm not knowing that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he's, he's going to take care of me. He's going to see me through. He's in charge. He calls the shots. And uh, it's important. And then notice what it says. I will be exalted uh, among the nations. Talking about really his second coming when he sets up his kingdom on this planet earth. He's, he's got the, the last word. He has the final call. He's going to come back and settle, settle the score. Make things right. Balance the books. I will be exalted in the earth. And then it ends verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Wow. This is God's word to us this morning. That alone would be enough for us just to stand and for closing prayer and we'll go home now. I mean, you could just take that, but, but guess what? We got some work to do, so let's make it real practical, even more so than what I have. And we need to talk about uh, this whole idea of just being crazy busy. Uh, let me give you a couple thoughts here. The opposite of anxiety is, is single-mindedness. When it talks about there in the, I think it's the fourth chapter, sixth verse of Philippians where it says, uh, don't be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and stuff. Okay, how many are familiar with that verse? So when it says don't be anxious, it really has that idea. The word anxiety there means to be jerked around in a lot of different directions. It's like you're trying to keep too many plates spinning. you got too many balls in the air kind of juggling or whatever it might be. you just, you got too much. Don't let that happen to your life. Don't allow yourself to become crazy busy. So the opposite of anxiety is single-mindedness. Single-mindedness, peace, comes from an assurance of your salvation. Worry and anxiety is a failure to think or consider the implications of your salvation. So that's what he's saying. He's inviting us. Be still and know. Consider. Think. The foundation of faith is thinking, think, 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 until it begins to burn bright within your heart. And when I don't do that, the reason why we don't do that is because there's so much noise in our life. There's so many distractions. 
But he's inviting us to do that. Worry and anxiety is a failure to think or consider the implications of your salvation. Now, here's a couple fill-in-the-blanks for you on your notes. There are two realities of the modernized, urbanized, globalized world that most everyone else in human history could not fathom. Our complexity and our opportunity. Interesting book, this kind of the launch pad for this study that I picked up uh, about four or five months ago. It's called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. Let me read a couple things from you or to you from the book. And uh, this is what he says as it relates to that. And that's where I got that first statement, these two realities, our complexity and our opportunity. I could give you, he says, I could give you statistics about the terabytes of information on the Internet. I mean, that alone is, is overwhelming. There was a time when I would, uh, as a pastor, young pastor, I would send off for, and I know some of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about here. We used to have to use these little tapes. They are called cassette tapes. So we used to send off for these cassette tapes. I had sent off. It would take me six weeks to get a cassette tape from my favorite preacher out there. And uh, it would just take me forever. And that's how I would study. A lot of times I'd listen to different people, you know, and it would take a long time to get those and it cost a lot of money. Nowadays, you can go right online and listen to messages. All of our messages, for the most part, are online, usually on, the, on Sunday. After I preach on Sunday morning, they're usually online that Sunday afternoon. I, I know a lot of people that when they're missing on a Sunday morning, they're usually downloading and listening to it throughout the week. And that's amazing times that we live in. Now, here's the problem with that. There's a whole lot of preachers out there, and, a, and there's a lot that aren't really all that good and not good for you to be listening to. And so that, what, what does that do? That creates some confusion. So you've got to get good at working through all of that. All of the information, can you believe everything you, you read on the Internet? Of course you can. No, there is so much garbage on the Internet that I spend most of my time just sorting through it. I spend more time sorting through what not to listen to, what not to to look at, what website not to go to, as opposed to the few that I will go to because of their credibility. And so so that creates, you know, that's that... uh, We have amazing opportunity, but the complexity. He goes on, he says... uh, he says the internet, so he got the information on the internet, and then he talks about the, the number of, as it relates to opportunity, the number, that was complexity, and this is the opportunity, the number of cereals at your grocery store to prove my point. But I don't have to, he says. No one has to convince you that this is what the world is like. I'll, I'll never forget this, that we had our first child, I think maybe it was we were into our second, but somewhere in, in there Nancy sent me to the... Uh, to the grocery store to, to get some diapers. That was a mistake. It took me like four weeks to find the diapers that she wanted. I mean, I went to this, I went to this aisle and it was like, there's, there's like a billion diapers. There's like all kinds of diapers. And this was before cell phones. Remember pagers? What's a pager? It, it's, they're useless. What am I going to talk into the pager? She can get a hold of me. I can't even talk to her. So I'm wandering around the store trying to find these diapers. Finally, I just went home. I said, man, I, I, what, what did you say? <laughs> I mean, it took me forever. And that's how it is. I mean, don't, don't send me. Listen, I have a hard time. I already know the kind of drink that I usually buy over here at the Desert Breeze Cafe. I get basically the same thing. But don't confuse me with all those other drinks. I have a hard Anybody, when you stand in line, you, you, you have a hard time trying to make up your mind? 
So my wife, my wife and I, so my wife, I always ask her before we get in the line at Starbucks, so what are you going to get? She'll, she'll say, okay, I'm going to get this. She says, okay, I will too. So this helps me to decide. And then when we get up there, she changes her mind. <laughs> I thought you were going to get, no, I decided not to. What? Come on. Supposed to help me out here. But the, but the complexity of all of, of our world, and there's so many distractions and so many different things going on in our life. Here's another thing that, that I found interesting in, in this book by Kevin DeYoung. Let me read to you another stat here. It says, It wasn't long ago we uh, had futurists predicting that one of the main challenges for coming generations would be too much spare time. In 1967, for example, testimony from a Senate subcommittee claimed that by 1985 the average work week would be just 22 hours. How many wish you had a work week of 22 hours? Yeah. It's not going to happen. Instead, Americans lead the industrialized world in annual work hours. So, so we got the complexity and opportunity in our opportunity. And I, and I could go through 12 diagnostic questions. He, do, he does that. I don't think I need to. I just, I, I think I, if you don't have a sense of the presence of God, you know, in your life, you're just way too busy probably. You're not spending time with him. So there, there's the diagnostic question. Do you have a sense of his presence? I'll ask you a number of questions at the end if we have time as it relates to that. But, but that's, I mean, why are you here on this planet Earth? Is it to, to make a lot of money, to have a nice home, drive nice cars? To, no, it's to give glory to God. It's to live for his glory. And God is most glorified in us when we're, we are most satisfied in Him. And so every day you're learning how to be satisfied in Him. And there's so much busyness in our life, we're not doing that. We're not doing well at that. And so let's talk about the effects of, of a crazy, busy lifestyle. Here's a number of them. Here's number one. It will rob you of joy. The most immediate and obvious uh, spiritual threat is joylessness. And let me, this is one of the things that I typically will listen to my own self through the years. And I'll listen to others. And I can kind of tell that they're not living in the reality of the presence of God. Is, that, is there a negative attitude? So let me ask you this. you have a negative attitude? Are you cynical? Are you critical? Are you sarcastic? We live in a very sarcastic world. Is your heart, and this is what I look to, is my heart growing bigger for God and the people around me, or is it shrinking? I can tell that I'm really walking and I'm spending time being still and knowing that He's God because my heart for God just gets bigger and bigger, and my heart for people gets bigger and bigger. And so those are, those are great questions to ask. A Christian's life should be marked by joy. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Taste like joy. Galatians 5.22, fruit of the Spirit. And be filled with the fullness of joy. John 15.11. If we're truly abiding in Him. And in fact, joy is our greatest defense against sin. Remember what uh, David prayed when he had committed adultery and a number of other sins? To God, Psalm 51, as he was talking to God, he said, Restore unto me what? The joy of my salvation. Now, it wasn't, that, it wasn't that he sinned and lost the joy of his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation, therefore he sinned. You guys tracking with me? 
we sin when we lose the joy of our salvation. Because I'm telling you, knowing God, walking with God, that's what the Christian life is all about, and there's nothing better. There's nothing better than knowing Him and walking with Him and experiencing Him in your life. And so what happens is that it will rob you of joy. Number two, it will choke your heart. Mark 4, 1 through 20, it talks about the parable of the, of the soils. Soils represent our heart, and then the seed that's sown is the gospel, and the sower would be the Holy Spirit or, or me, a preacher, or you, as you spread the seed of the gospel in people's lives around you. Uh, what is it that chokes, chokes out the life? I mean, that's in that he talks about, and in, in verse 19, he talks about the seed that's thrown, that's scattered among the thorns, and then the thorns grow up and choke out the plant. And it's really a great imagery of what happens in our lives. So what is it that chokes out the plant or our life? And he, he mentions three things. You can read it on your own this week as you work through the growing notes. The cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Three things there. So it just sounds like crazy busy, just a crazy busy lifestyle. What happens when you, when you have the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things is that you won't be able to hear God. The noise of life can easily drown out the voice of God. It chokes your heart by choking the word of God. That's the idea in your heart. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Listen to me. You are, whether you realize it or not, you're desperate to hear from God. You're desperate to know that he is talking to you. You're interacting with him. You're desperate for that. That's what satisfies you more than anything. See, you were created to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with God and to look him in the face and have him say, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. To have that sense of security and strength and, and significance. But so many things in our lives strangle that out. Here's the third one. It will make you less productive. These are the effects of a crazy, busy lifestyle. It will rob you of joy. It will choke your heart. It will make you less productive. Proverbs 21.5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty, crazy busy, comes only to poverty. The message puts it this way. Careful planning puts, puts you ahead. In the long run, hurry and scurry puts you further, further behind. Now, They've done some research. I read it. I, I wish I could have found it this last week. I didn't take out time to find it, but I read some uh, this last... I actually saw a report on the news this last year, and they were talking about multitasking. And a lot of people think, oh, I can multitask. And they actually say you can't really multitask as well as you think you can. And I, I do know that, that women are better at multitasking than men. Okay? And one of the reasons why uh, I know that is because very seldom do I ever watch see a guy trying to drive and talk and when he when he is he usually has to pull off the side of the road and do that because he can't do two things at once i mean i can hardly talk to my wife and drive she's over there uh you know white knuckling at the whole time it's like ah, are you gonna stop ah, you know so she's freaking out most of the time and uh and uh but but what's interesting is that I, i'm I'm getting really tired of this, is that I'm waiting at a light, maybe an arrow or something. I'm wondering, why is this person so slow? And lo and behold, as I get around them, it's a woman talking on the phone. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm just joking. But actually, actually, some of you guys, can I get some support from the guys here? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. How many guys would say that it's, it is hard talking on the phone and driving at the same time? Be willing to admit? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard because we're, we're more compartmentalized. It's harder for us to focus. And women can certainly do it. But you know what? Ladies, you still can't do it that well and drive. You're less productive. You're not able to... Hey, listen, women aren't that good at drivers anyway, are they? I knew I could pick a fight this morning. <laughs> My wife would think that she's a better driver than, than I am. When we go on trips that, that are meant to be restful, she comes back more stressed out. And I think it's because of my driving. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really do. I think it is my driving. But I think she just freaks out for no good reason. But uh, I shouldn't have said that. My wife's, she's still there. She's sitting right back there. She hasn't walked out yet. You have more what? I, I, I would believe that. She, she teaches traffic classes. And uh, there's more men that come to those than women. And you know what? You're right. You're actually right. And actually men are more responsible for more of the accidents and all those other things and, and things like that. And, but women still can't drive very good. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here, hey, don't miss the point here. I, I, did that just to, I did that just to make you think a little bit. Here's the deal. We're not good at multitasking. We think we can do a whole lot of things. We think we can come to church and, uh, you know, and sit there and surf the Internet. Hopefully you're not doing that. See, see, that's the interesting day and time. Because you could be looking down. I'm thinking that you're really studying and really getting something out of it. And you might be looking at the scores of the game. Hey, he's getting excited. Not about that message. He's getting excited about a game score is what he's getting excited about. So that's... It's kind of interesting, but you're going to be less productive when we get beyond our optimum speed, quality, creativity, and enjoyment takes a hit. So it will make you less productive. I spent way too much time on that one. Number four, so I won't do that in the second service. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Number four, it will destroy your body. I, I really believe that part, my body has been a bit destroyed because of the high level of... Uh, I pushed myself really hard for the first uh, 20, 30 years, too hard. And I'm worn out now. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that. But, uh, but really, look at what it says in Proverbs 14.30. I don't think it's on your notes, but listen to what it says. Proverbs 14.30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. I want to read to you a quote. This is from a book by the title, Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero, and, uh, and I've seen this with other research. He first of all quotes, uh, this is actually a quote from Dr. Archibald Hart. Uh, he calls it, it's called the hidden link from a writing, the hidden link between adrenaline and stress. He says, adrenaline arousal can be compared to revving up a car engine, then leaving it to idle at high speed, at a high speed. He talks about some of the research, and when he was about to have a nervous breakdown, about to fall apart, he started going to the doctor, and the doctors began to explain this to him. He said, serotonin is a chemical like an endorphin. 
It's a natural feel-good hormone. It replenishes during times of rest and then fuels you while you're working. If, however, you continue to drive yourself without replenishing, your store of serotonin will be depleted. As a substitute, your body will be forced to replace the serotonin with adrenaline. With adrenaline. The problem is that adrenaline is designed for emergency use only. Should you continue to run on adrenaline, it will destroy your system. You will burn out sooner on the inside than you're able to see on the outside. The fuel of adrenaline that keeps your engines running in the beginning will turn on you and destroy you in the end. So it's good, good counsel. The Bible is very clear about that. It says it's going to destroy your body. You've got to take out time. So, so here's, here's what we're, as we kind of embark upon this study, a theology of rest is as important as a theology of work. And both have limits. If you don't have a good theology of rest, times of refreshment, and, and I'm not... There's a way of, of resting and not really resting. How many have ever gone on a vacation before and you came back more stressed out than when you went? I mean, when you initially went. So you didn't get the rest that the, the Bible actually talks about. You can take a, a Sabbath and still not really be rested. There is a way of, uh, that you can, you can be weary even when, when you rest. And you can be resting even when you're exerting yourself. There is a kind of rest that can be found in God that even when you exert yourself, you're at rest. You're not, there's not that drivenness. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. If you don't find that rest, it's more than just taking time off. It's really a way of connecting with God. Unless you connect with God and find that rest in Him, over time, you better be prepared to crash. You're going to crash. And you're going to crash hard. And... Uh, that's the point. Here's the next one, number five. It will cover up the rod in your soul. I found this really interesting. I'd encourage you to read this on your own later on this week. Haggai, didn't even know that there was a book in the Bible by the name of Haggai, did you? Haggai, what's that? Small prophet, chapter one, verses five through eight. Listen to what he says. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So that, that would have that idea of be still, be still, consider your ways, look at, look at your, your crazy, busy lifestyle. You have sown much and harvest, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So he says that twice. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. It's, the idea here is why are you chasing after all these things in this world? Why do you have such a crazy, busy lifestyle? You really think that that's going to satisfy the deepest longing in your heart? No. It's not going to. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. He's talking about building a temple, building a place. To meet God, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So what is he saying? He's saying, man, don't chase after all that stuff. Build a place where you can meet with me. I'm the only one that can ultimately satisfy you. Now, 
How does this cover up the rot in our soul? The greatest danger with busyness is that there may be greater dangers you never have time to consider. There's things in your life that you just don't take out time to consider. And in fact, busyness can be a kind of anesthetic from from experiencing the emptiness inside that only Christ can fill. So... Here's a quick cure. We're going to spend a number of weeks just kind of walking through this so we can knock this out pretty quickly. But how to slow the pace. You can see the S-L-O-W-S. Start working from rather than for your identity. It's, t- it's taking me a couple decades to learn this, still trying to learn this. I don't think it needs to take you that long. But uh, start working from rather than for your identity. Psalm 127.2 It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's a great verse. He says, why are you crazy busy? Why are you trying to find a sense of identity in accomplishment or achievement or the accolades of the people around you? You have all that you need in me. I can give you such a sweet rest that nothing in this world can even compare. That's that's the idea that he wants us to understand. Living by what others think of you is bondage. Living by what the Lord thinks of you is complete freedom. Let me have you do this real quick. Turn to the person next to you and see if they can answer this question. Rocky won the movie. His girlfriend asked him, why do you want to go the distance? What did he say? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer. Why did he want to go the distance in that bout? Okay, what was it? <laughs> That's good. Yo, Adrian. Uh, he, the, the, here's the, the question was, uh, why do you want to go the distance? Oh, because I don't want to be a bum. You guys remember? He said, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Was he fighting for his identity or from his identity? For. He was driven because of an emptiness inside. See, as believers, we have fullness in Jesus Christ. I already know I'm not a bum. Jesus died for me. He loves me. He gave his life for me. I'm, I'm a sinner, but that, wow, that makes it even more amazing. That me, a sinner, he gave his life for me. And he gives me fullness of life. And, uh, and it's just the only person in the universe whose opinion counts looks at me and finds me more valuable than all the wealth of the world. You see, our crazy, busy lifestyle is rooted in fear. The fear of not, not being enough or I'm not going to have enough, or fear of losing face, or, or losing control, or fear of missing the mark, or missing out. And the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves, for we are already proven and secure through Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm talking about. And so that's why, why, that's why we hang out together. That's why you read your Bible. That's why you pray. That's why you hang out with other Christians in a small group setting, is to have that reinforced. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God loves me. He thinks the world of me. So then, therefore, when I respond, when I respond to conflict, when I respond to the issues at, at hand, I'm not going to be responding out of desperation. Oh, what am I going to do? 
No, God's in control. He's sovereign. goes back to, to Psalm 46. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. The reality of those verses have to sink deep within my heart. And, uh, and so that's, that's the S. We're gonna, we'll spend some more time on that next week, so you're going to want to come back next week. We're going to spend a considerable amount of time on that, just kind of walking through that, because it's, it's really self-aholism is our big issue. It's pride. And uh, so we'll look at that. And then, then the, the L is for learn to say no. You can only say no to the degree that you're operating not for your identity, but from your identity. In the early years of this church, I, I had a hard time saying no. Now I, I don't have any problem saying no. And a lot of it's because I've learned my identity is not based on whether you like me or not or whether you, know, you come back to this church or not. It's already established. And so I, I can have healthier boundaries that way. But man, I, I took on way too much in the early days. And still we'll have that tendency, but then I have to say, hey, why? It, what, what is it that you have a hard time saying no to? There's probably some form of idolatry in, in that, if you can't say no, if you don't have some good boundaries. Whether it be your finances, your money, or your time, or any number of things. And so, Proverbs twenty five twenty eight it says, A man without self-control is like a city, like a city broken into and left without walls. So a city without walls. So you've you got to learn to say no. You've got to have a good, strong no muscle. And yes, you, so that, that way you can say yes to the appropriate things in your life. And then, oh, obey the fourth commandment. I think we'll probably just spend one week on that. I think it's down the road a bit, but obey the fourth commandment. What's the fourth commandment? Sabbath. Sabbath rest. We're going to learn a little bit more about what that. Exodus 29 through 10 talks about that. Here's the amazing thing. Mark 2, 27 through 28. This is what Jesus said. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So this is what I have found in my own life. I've got to learn to divert daily. Every day I've got to have that kind of Sabbath rest where I divert daily. I withdraw weekly. So there's a time, there's that day in my life where I'm just withdrawing and connecting with God and then abandon annually where I get away, vacation. And what I'm wanting more than anything, not just to read a bunch of books, you know, read the Bible, study, listen to a bunch of uh, cassette tapes, but uh, I don't listen to cassette tapes anymore, but uh, listen to a bunch of messages online or whatever it might be. This is what I'm wanting more than anything. I'm craving a glimpse of the of the God who can satisfy my soul. I'm craving a glimpse. When I divert daily, it's, oh God, oh God, let me see you. Let me encounter you. Let me know you. And I know some of you are looking at me like, this guy's a nut job. <laughs> and you're right. Just talk to my wife. He's a nut job. That's what she would say. But no, no, listen to me. There is a God. He created the heavens and the earth. And you're not here by accident. You're here by divine design. He's pursuing you. And he loves you. And when you encounter him and when you begin to give your life to him, I mean, it changes everything. It changes everything about your life. And when you continue to live your life for him, oh my goodness, there's a fullness of life. Even, even when the world is falling apart, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Even in the midst of that, he is for you. He is with you. There is a river that makes glad the city of God, the people of God, 
There's a gladness. There is a joy, a deep joy, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of difficulty. Pretty amazing. Oh, oh my goodness. I've seen that so real in the last year. It's just, it's just amazing. And so, and then wait. Wait for the Lord. That's the last one. So start working from rather than for your identity. Learn to say no so that it'll help you to... But they all work together. I mean, the more you're able to say no, the more you're able to spend time, be still and know. And the more you're still no, the more you're able to say no and, and have the good boundaries. But sometimes you need to just... Uh, take the risk, start saying no, start having uh, some boundaries in your life so that you can get that glimpse. Because as the more you have that glimpse, the more you're able to have good, healthy boundaries, the more you're able to, to obey the fourth commandment and then wait. This is an interesting, uh, interesting word. I did a lot of study on it, and we'll try to figure this word out. But it, Isaiah 40, 31, I believe it just means to really seek after God, seek His face. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall run. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The the Hebrew word here means uh, to to twist and bind together the strands of a rope. The word wait isn't that interesting. Here, here's the idea is that I've got this uh, snail vines that wrap around our property. We live on about an acre over here off of 43rd and Union Hills, and we get irrigation, and so uh, we got these snail vines that go on the chain-link fence. And if we were to plant those snail vines out in the middle of the, uh, the yard, they just grow out flat. But because they're up against the fence, they have the, the strength and the stability of the chain-link fence as they weave themselves in and out. Isn't that interesting? So that's, that's a little bit of the idea when he talks about twist and bind together like in its strands of rope. The more strands in your rope, the greater the strength. The rope strength comes from all the strands working together. So, so I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of a couple different things. It is having all the strands, all the aspects of your life intertwined and bound to the Lord. So your marriage, your work, your finances, everything kind of interwoven with God leading and guiding and in fact, this is what I've learned too, is that the more strands that I have, Bible, prayer, fellowship, service, the more that I, I'm involved with the spiritual disciplines that are woven into to our relationship with God, the stronger that my life will be. Now, here's a couple questions. So this is kind of where we're headed. I'm going to pray, and then you guys are going to be out of here. But let me, uh, let me see if I can find these questions. Here's what I want us to experience in this, uh, in this series as we work through this, uh, these are just some questions for for you to think about. Um, here's what here they are, and these are questions from. Uh, I could send these to you. You can send me an email or somewhere. I can post these later. But William Williams, during the Great Awakening, would ask people to share about these types of questions in small group settings each week. How real has God been to your heart this week? If I were to ask you, how real has God been to your heart this week? How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? To what degree is that real to you right now? Are you having any particular seasons of delight in God? Do you really sense His presence in your life, sense Him giving you His love? Have you been finding Scripture to be alive and active Instead of just being a book, do you feel like Scripture is coming after you? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? Which ones? 
Are you finding God's challenging you or calling you to something through the word? In what ways? Are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than you have in the past? Are you conscious of a growing sense of the evil of your heart and in response a growing dependence on the on and grasp of the preciousness of the mercy of God? Let's pray. God, that's our heart. Those questions, and we want to be able to answer those questions because we have, we know you. So God, help us as we embark upon this study the next eight weeks or so. Lord, help us with our crazy busy lifestyle. Help us to see the, the dangers we talked about, but help us to slow the pace, to start working from rather than for our identity, to, uh, to obey the fourth commandment, to divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually, and uh, learn to say no to those things that are just intrusions, to turn the radio off, to turn the TV off, to do those things so that we can be still and know that you are God. We want to know you. We want to experience you in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let me give you a blessing. This is the highly high priestly blessing. You guys are familiar with this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace as you are learning to be still and know that he is God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.